Good morning. Let's uh, go ahead and come together here. And uh, we will begin our class. You may be confused why I am up here, um, that either I got much younger over the last week or um, uh, certainly not any better looking, but uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Pastor Jerry is preaching in uh, the service this morning, so he asked if I would fill in here uh, for him this morning. And uh, when he told me what I'd be teaching on, was uh, really excited about uh, that and uh, I, I look around the room and I see a bunch of faces that were in my last class So it's going to be weird to kind of make a adjustment to the topic that that we're talking about here this morning and mending broken relationships, but uh, look forward to doing that uh, with you today uh, But as we get started, let me just kind of remind you of some announcements uh, coming up uh, in the life of the church here just so that you're aware and uh, and familiar with what's going on in life of the church uh, first uh, would be the notes are up here. If you didn't get them, uh, we can pass them out. Did anybody not get some notes as they came in? Uh, why don't I go ahead and, it uh, looks like most of them were taken. So uh, who is, uh, no, just, I think there's a few folks that need them uh, holding their hand up here. Uh, and then um, if you have not signed up for the class with the church app, I would encourage you to do that. You can uh, just do this QR code here on the front table uh, after class or uh, whenever it would be convenient for you. Uh, that's just a helpful way for us to uh, provide information and uh, know that you're in the class and make sure that even as elders, we're doing our very best to uh, use that as a mechanism to shepherd the, the body of Christ here. Uh, certainly, uh, it's easy to allow people to kind of slip through the cracks, and we don't desire for that to happen. And so we can use this as just one mechanism to be able to make sure that uh, people are here, we know about it, we're uh, engaged with them and doing all that we can to uh, take care of the sheep here. And so that would be just a blessing. But beyond that is an opportunity to sign up for the refreshments uh, that uh, we'll hopefully have each week. So there's a couple of slots open for each week if you just uh, go sign up for the class. You can also uh, sign up for refreshments. Make sure that we all uh, have our sugar fix or uh, whatever it may be for you uh, that you may want to bring some um, some really good uh, fall baked items, uh, maybe some pie or uh, something like that. Um, but uh, no, just uh, bring whatever you'd like to uh, allow everybody to enjoy. Uh, that can be store-bought, you can grab it on the way in, or you can uh, make something, bring it in, whatever you'd like to do. Uh, but it's always good to um, have some of that to fill our stomach if you're like me and running around on a Sunday morning and have not had a chance to grab anything to eat yet. It's helpful to have some fellowship and uh, grab something to eat in here. So. Um, all In Men's Conference is coming up in two weeks. We encourage you to sign up for that if you have not already. Uh, that will be a conference on Friday evening and Saturday. Uh, and we are uh, addressing the topic of being uh, all in for Christ. And so we encourage you to be there for that. Uh, Kempis Hernandez from the West Coast is coming to uh, speak to us. Uh, it's actually the lead pastor of the church that 
Um, Alex Master Leonardo uh, served with uh, out in California for uh, a number of years. So uh, good relationship there and looking forward to uh, hearing him teach here. He's a great teacher and would encourage you uh, to come and be part of that. Uh, come and be as much as you can. I know for me, I've got uh, kids soccer games and those kind of things uh, during those days as well, but I'll be kind of coming and going as I'm able. Uh, we just want you to be here as much as you can be. Uh, Podcast and Pie for the ladies is coming up. Uh, on November 2nd from 6.30 to 8.30. Um, that is, I believe, a, an opportunity, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, to listen to a podcast uh, on friendship. Uh, I think I actually listened to it. They, they asked me to listen to it uh, months ago, actually, on my way back from uh, Gulf Shores in the spring from our family vacation, I listened to it. Uh, it was really good, uh, helpful uh, thoughts as it relates to how to uh, develop and build uh, biblical friendships, so I'd encourage you ladies to be part of that and pie. So uh, that will be uh, great. Uh, we also have grief share going on. Want to make sure that you are aware of that. Uh, I think there are two weeks in, but you can drop in at any time uh, on Saturday mornings from 10 to noon. Uh, it's a great ministry just for those that have suffered a personal profound loss of a loved one in their life, and this is a way that we can help. Uh, assist you biblically and uh, in a Christ-centered way to work through grief. And so I would encourage you, if that's something that you uh, continue to process through, maybe it's been a while, maybe it's been a more recent situation, uh, or you know somebody that that would apply to and be helpful to them, I just encourage you to let them know about that. Related to that is a session called Surviving the Holidays on November 4th. So um, we, we know also in grief that it is also difficult uh, during the holiday season, uh, especially uh, to go through a, a season of grief. And sometimes that can be many years removed. And so uh, this might just be a really uh, a simple touch point, a one-time uh, deal for you to come and be part of uh, and um, be helped with your grief over the holiday season. So I encourage you uh, to look into those opportunities. They can all be found uh, there on the, the church app, but uh, certainly encourage you to be uh, taking part of those as, as you're able. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll dive into what the Lord has for us in class today. Father, thanks for this time and this opportunity to be gathered together. Uh, Lord, thank you for the privilege of coming uh, to your word and seeking to understand how uh, we can heal broken relationships. And Lord, that we do that not first and foremost through secular and uh, even psychological means, but Lord, we first and foremost do that through looking at the scriptures and what you have taught us about the significance of relationships and where do these broken relationships come from and how do we therefore go about mending them and, and uh, restoring them and to a better place than, than maybe they are today. Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us as we think about this. Lord, a room full of people here uh, really is a reminder uh, to us all that we are all impacted by broken relationships. We've all had these things come in to our lives. And Lord, you 
bring about these things for our own good and for our sanctification. We pray that uh, you would help us even as we think through these things. Lord, for those that uh, are even raw this morning with perhaps a relationship that's currently broken and uh, maybe even recently, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would use not only our time this morning, but over the next few weeks uh, to help them uh, process through uh, the situation and relationship in such a way that would bring you honor and glory and that it might uh, bring true healing. And so, Lord, we pray towards these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, irreconcilable differences refer to a significant disagreement or conflicts between two or more parties that cannot be resolved or reconciled. We hear this term in the news. We hear it as it relates to uh, people that have gone their own ways in a marriage or in uh, business or whatever the case may be. And these differences can be related to all kinds of issues in a person's life or in the relationship, maybe a difference in values, a difference in beliefs, differences in goals, or needs that are fundamentally perceived as incompatible or mutually exclusive. And when faced with these irreconcilable differences, it becomes challenging or seemingly impossible for the parties involved to find some common ground or reach a compromise in the relationship, and so they go their own ways. And in various contexts, such as relationships, interpersonally, Legal matters, negotiations, irreconcilable differences can lead to a discussion and a decision to separate and terminate the relationship and to end discussions without any kind of resolution. And really, that's the worst possible situation, right? Where we just go our own ways and decide, okay, well, uh, it is what it is, and we just are going to leave it at that. And sometimes in a broken, sinful world, that's all that we're left with. And sometimes, unfortunately, that is the end of the matter. But should that be our goal? Should that be our objective in our relationships? And this is what we want to think about together this morning. And really, my goal and time with you would, would not just be to speak to you, but I want to draw you out and talk together in what do you think the contributing dynamics that result in the inability to achieve reconciliation. What are your thoughts? What, what are those kind of contributing dynamics that maybe you've experienced, maybe you've seen from a distance, whatever that may be, that you have uh, witnessed in your life to lead to these kind of relationships that are broken and even unable to be put back together? What, what are some things that, that you've seen? Yeah, back here. Pride and selfishness. Okay, pride and selfishness. Okay, very good. Virginia? I feel like the first thing that comes to mind is James 4, where it says, what causes twice and, oh, sorry, did I? Yeah, no, yeah, go for it. We're going to go there today and spend a lot of time there, but go um, for it. What yeah. What causes quarrels and fights among them? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Okay. All right. So how would you summarize that, Virginia? Selfishness okay. and a desire to, like not a desire to honor the Lord, I guess. Okay. 
All right, good. So pride, selfishness, what, what else? Yeah. Um, I think it's Luke, kind of new in the Bible, but I think it's Luke where Jesus says, I come with thy sword, or come with sword for division, okay. not to bring peace. Okay. And for somebody new to all of this, I thought, wow, that's just not what I thought it was. But when you go and try to share the gospel, that's exactly sometimes what happens is division. Okay even among your loved ones. Hmm. And the rest of the scripture was something like the, the daughter will be against the mother and the yeah. child will be against the father and it will be in your own family. Yeah. And those people you love, but if you try to share with them and they are animate about it, hmm. division comes. Hmm. So okay. kind of a different, yeah. it's kind of a different message, but yeah. it's important to know that because that keeps you focused on the reconciliation part and maybe not the, um, fixing the problem. Okay. Yeah. Good. Thank you. So the gospel itself can be a, a matter uh, of division uh, between people. And uh, I think a lot of our ladies, I was just talking to Bruce that taught for him uh, the women's study on Wednesday, and he was talking about uh, sometimes, uh, maybe you've watched the news recently uh, and don't want to spend too much time on this, certainly wasn't planned to discuss, but um, you know, Andy Stanley is uh, talking a lot right now about drawing circles that Jesus didn't draw lines. And in fact, if we look at Galatians, as the ladies were on Sunday or on Wednesday, uh, and as we look at the gospel and even those kinds of accounts, he draws very clear lines as it relates to the gospel. And we have to uh, be careful that uh, in our desire to be welcoming and inclusive, that we don't um, sacrifice the gospel and sacrifice the truth of God's word. Uh, in that endeavor. So good point. Great. Um, that's really good. Any, any other thoughts? Diane? Um, just in my own experience of trying to reconcile with people at times, it takes two to reconcile. Yeah. It, so as much as you can to make peace with your brother, but sometimes your brother or sister don't see things the same way you do, biblically. Even. Yeah, sure. So it's kind of like what you were talking about with the Andy, Andy Stanley thing yeah. is, you know, I might draw a line here, but somebody else might draw a line here mm -hmm. here. And, or we can just be looking at the Bible in two different ways. And okay. so you can't always reconcile with somebody if they're not willing to reconcile with you. Okay. Yeah. So maybe uh, the unwillingness on one party's mm -hmm. part to uh, have that reconciliation, you can only go so far as one individual, even if you have the greatest biblical God-honoring desires, uh, if the other person is not uh, meeting you in that, uh, you can certainly have a heart, uh, which I'm sure Pastor Jerry will talk about. Uh, I think I'll touch on it a little bit here at the end, but um, yeah, uh, maybe not able to fully reconcile as our heart's desire may be uh, in a relationship, for sure. Yeah. Anything else? Are there thoughts on what brings about these kinds of dynamics? Yeah. Okay, great. Politics. Yeah, we're, I think we're going to feel that uh, really strongly over the next 12 months here, uh, maybe, and then some if we haven't already been uh, a long, long period of, uh, of consternation and deliberation about 
the differences in our nation politically and just how, how the nation is really dividing on political grounds. And uh, we certainly see and experience that. And I, I'm going to be very interested to see how that plays out in the next few months here as we uh, go towards another election cycle. So yeah, politically, for sure. What else? Any others? Kimmy. I'm uh, trying to figure out how to put this in two words, but uh, when there's like a team of people trying to come up with a solution about something and there's a divide on how something should be solved. Yeah. I feel like that came. Yeah. Words. Yeah. Divide and also, um, what's it called when you never give a grudge? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Grudge. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so working in a team, whatever kind of team that may be, and you begin to have differences of opinion on how uh, a solution should be arrived. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you find yourself in, uh, in a broken uh, work relationship of one kind or another within that team. So yeah, good. Um, I don't think someone said this, but miscommunication. Like just not understanding yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah, just plain and simple miscommunication where you think that uh, you know there's times where uh, I've been in conversations or discussions where you you know uh, you're actually agreeing with each other but it's like this like what's happening here like we're 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 agreeing but you know we're, we're seeming like we're not agreeing and you know there's just this miscommunication happening uh, in that that process or you just assume uh, perhaps the worst of of the conversation or the discussion uh, and and those kind of things can create that so the possibility for relational damage destruction and even death uh, really is various there's there's so many uh, versions and demonstrations of how this can look and how it can become uh, an issue in our relationships because of our sinfulness uh, and as we kind of begin here, the first point is the genesis of relational conflict. Number one there, the genesis of relational conflict. The, the possibility of these uh, damaging relationships really began uh, before uh, even creation uh, began. And the first fractured relationship occurred when an exceedingly beautiful angel declared to himself that he would be like the most high God. And this separation of relationship between God and Satan is symbolically described for us in Ezekiel 28, 12 through 18. If somebody would like to just go ahead and turn over there and read that. And then I'd like to look at Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 as well. Who would take Ezekiel 28, 12 through 18? Ezekiel 28, 12 through 18. Somebody read that? Any takers? Oh, Mike, thank you. And then Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Who might take that one? Okay, Ash, thank you. Go ahead and read that when you get there. Sure. Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 28. Uh, Ezekiel 28, 12 through 18. Sorry, I might have misspoke there. Yeah. Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, 
You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets, was in you on the day that you were created. They were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you, by the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you by the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade. You profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have bought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. Okay, thank you. And then uh, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Ash? How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Thank you. So really here in the context of Ezekiel 28, this oracle is directed against the prince of Tyre, and yet his sin was to claim to be divine. He said, I am God. If you look back at verse 2, but God said, you are man. And because of this presumption, the prince would be killed by his enemies and thus providing his mortality and proof of his mortality. And the change of address from Prince of Tyre to the King of Tyre in verse 12 there has really prompted a lot of discussion. We're not going to get into a lot of that this morning. That's not really our point. But there seems to be little doubt that Satan is in view in these verses as the real power behind the wicked society and government of Tyre. And this also provides for us the reason for Satan's fall, even as we look there in Isaiah is the fracture of his relationship with God, seeing himself as better and supreme than God himself. So a created being in the heavens is seeing himself as better and higher than his creator. And I think this has huge implications for us as as men today. And from these passages, we begin to see the contributing factors that fracture relationships both between Satan and the creator and now between man and his creator and man and man, right? We begin to see how this begins to break down and we'll look here even in a moment uh, at Genesis 3, right? We begin to see how this fractured relationship in heaven 
created a fractured relationship in the garden and now how that begins to fracture relationships here on earth all over the place. And we begin to see many of these themes that were pointed out as we began discussing it this morning of this pride and the selfishness and all of these things. So uh, from this passage, what do you see to be the contributing factors, if I didn't just steal the thunder from that, um, in Ezekiel and uh, in Isaiah, in those passages that we see uh, this going on? Any, any that I hadn't already mentioned that you could think of here? Any thoughts there? Yeah. I think like fantasizing or a deceitful heart. I mean, like okay. you said in your heart that I will ascend to heaven. Very good, yeah. The stars of God. So just like, our, like lies we tell ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, long before sin is ever manifest in a outward way, it is first manifest in the heart in uh, the world of fantasy, in the world of our thoughts, right? Of uh, whatever that fantasy may be, that I am indeed greater than God or that I deserve something that God has not perhaps given me. And Satan is described as an adversary, right? He stands in opposition to God his word, and his people. And the next example here that we really need to look at is the relational damage that occurred in the Garden of Eden. So you can turn over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And we see really there in, in those first 13 verses, what we have here is, is this fracture of relationship between Adam and Eve with God, their creator, right, at the fall. And uh, somebody that's there that'd like to read, why don't you just start reading and then I'll, I'll tell you when you can, when you can stop. But it's, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden you may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Okay, you can stop there. We begin to see God give very clear direction, right? Very clear parameters for what their interaction uh, should be there in the garden. And yet, what we begin to see as we continue, I think most of you are very familiar with Genesis 3, uh, but they took of this fruit that was forbidden, and they ate, right? Uh, she first, and then uh, gave to Adam to, to eat as well. And so then, um, in verse 8, we see, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent 
deceive me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, and you begin to see the curse that was placed on um, those that were responsible for this sin against God. And so what we begin to see here is the fractured relationship between Adam and Eve, God giving specific, clear guidelines, which they did not obey. They did not follow the Creator's guidance. And this would lead to the damage of relationships between Adam and Eve, between Adam and Eve and God, and everyone else for the rest of history. And so what we begin to see here, which I find very instructive for relationships, is what happened. When we begin to see this is he blamed her for what happened, right? So first Adam is blaming her. And by extension, blame God that you gave me, right? So that woman that you gave me, that's why. So there's there just in the immediate response, there is blame shifting both of the woman and God himself. And so here we see not that much different than what we saw in Ezekiel and in Isaiah, right? As we immediately begin to see these, uh, these people blame shifting and seeing themselves really as standing over God in authority. Right? We see Adam standing over God in authority to say, I mean, really, you think about this. How dare Adam? But let's not get too prideful, right? Too quickly? Because we do the same thing, right? Uh, we, we do this in so many ways that we can uh, begin to talk about. But uh, in not too long after the fall, the first family then experienced the ultimate expression of sibling rivalry, right? We see that in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. And we begin to see uh, this jealousy that takes place and all that uh, this sin begins to introduce into relationships. And so in terms of the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, how did it come about and how was it mishandled? How, how do you see this understanding just these verses here uh, of how this situation was mishandled. Or maybe the way to think about it is how would it be rightly handled? And then we can therefore see the mess and how it was handled. What are some thoughts? Thoughts that you have? Yeah, Diane. I think the first one is um, looking at Jesus' model when he was tempted in the desert using okay. God's word um, correctly, rightly. Okay. First from the serpent, and then um, transferred to to Eve, also using that tactic. Yeah. Um, so, and then you can go back to your Ezekiel passages too. It's Lucifer distorted how God created him and wanted him yeah. uh, to function, and just the distortion of God's word. I feel like it's very destructive. This is an example, but we see that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think oftentimes that um, we could look at this, especially back in the garden. The serpent is trying to draw her eye to the one thing mm -hmm. that she was told that she could not have. Mm -hmm. 
and she focuses then on that, not necessarily on the word of God. Now she does quote it, but still, her desire is for the one thing, mm -hmm. and then what that one thing, that forbidden thing, can do for her. Okay. We too, often, we say, especially this time of year, we should say that we should be grateful. We got the season of Thanksgiving, mm. and see the fall colors, mm -hmm. the harvest and everything. We should be grateful. But even in Ezekiel, God mentions the fact that Lucifer, he was in Eden. You have this, you have yeah. that. All of these things that we would see as so precious, as beautiful, as mm -hmm. splendid, mm -hmm. but he's not grateful for yeah. And oftentimes, we are not grateful for the things that we have been given by God. Hmm. We look at the one thing hmm. that we cannot have, hmm. and we set our desire upon that. And say, yeah. even if I just had that, hmm. then it would be this way. Hmm. But the consequences of that way yeah. is sin and death. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Let, let's apply that, seek to apply that a little bit uh, as, as we're in this class on relationships. Uh, how, how does that then play out in relationships and how does that begin to uh, uh, create relationship conflict and brokenness? Any thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> we, want, we may want a thing, like I said, and, and think that if we just had maybe that type of spouse okay. or that Good. type of Yeah. We never think about the consequences that may play themselves out in those relationships that we hurt hmm. and sometimes mm -hmm. even create so, so much damage hmm. that you can't even see your way out hmm. of that mess. Hmm. Only God can do that. Yeah. And then sometimes you might have to just accept the fact that, like someone said in here, it may not work out. Yeah. You just might have to wait <laughs> on the other side of eternity. Let the Lord work it out then. Yeah. Life is a vapor. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And look forward to that. Yeah. Good. Well, I I really like some of the specifics. So yeah, house, marriage, um, you know, those those uh, job. I think you mentioned um, those types of things. Uh, you know, begin to unfold into relationships in such a way that can wreak havoc uh, that, that you're mentioning. Any other ideas or thoughts well, on that, Cindy? Goes along yeah. with that is it begins with comparison. Comparing okay. yeah. what you have to what you don't, you know, to somebody else. Or yeah. So okay. wrongly comparing yeah. comparisons, I think. Okay. In marriage or whatever. Yeah. Just, you know, then it, your flesh feeds that. Okay. So comparing, good, good. Other, yeah. Virginia. I actually thought that it's that like I, I was immediately thinking, now oh, what does that stem from? And I thought expectation. Like I think expectation a lot of times in relationships and whether it's friends or your spouse or whoever, like mm -hmm. there's an abundance that that person is doing for you. But if you have that one thing in your mind of what you expect them right. to do, and even if they're doing all of these other things, all you can see is that they're not doing that one thing yeah and it just causes such discontentment in your heart yeah which also goes back to james 4 yeah. uh that we'll talk about here in a little bit uh but yeah expectations breeds frustration 
uh, right? Uh, frustration that I am not getting what I think I should have. Uh, and you then begin, you know, having conflict. Uh, yeah, good. What are any other thoughts that, that you may have on this? Mike, yeah. Well, I, I think our relationships are going to be continually undermined by the opulence in all the different things that we're talking about, setting a seedbed for sin. But in the case of Genesis 3, if Eve had just said, God, you're right, and, and I should not have eaten hmm. of the tree, the truth would have set her free. Hmm. And so I think the reality of sin and expectations is going to be part of our condition, but remembering that truth sets free, you know, practically helps us in dealing with this. I mean, imagine yeah. what would have happened had she done that. Yeah. Taking responsibility, right? Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. Why is it so hard in the context of broken relationships? And, and that can be on anywhere in that spectrum, right? Like, you know, broken, not even talking to each other and, you know, won't see each other, won't, you know, anything like that to, uh, you know, the household squabble. You know, why is it so hard to take responsibility for our part? in the demise of a relationship. Why is that? Pride. Okay. All right. Shame. Okay. Pride and shame. Okay. It's what? It demands work. Okay. So it's, you can put that work on someone else. Okay. I think the idea of having to dig into your own issues and work through that, it's not just, oh yeah, this is my thing and yeah. poof, it's gone. It's yeah. okay, now we have to fix this and that takes time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had an example of that just yesterday morning at, in our home uh, where I talked sharply to Courtney and, you know, then, you know, I, I, you know, realized it bothered her and, you know, then I had to take a, f a few minutes, like, to, like, process through, like, okay, what was that all about in my heart? Like, because I don't want to just go, oh, sorry, like, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I needed to take re full responsibility for, you know, because what's in, what, what comes out of the mouth is in the heart, right? And so what was in my heart that I needed to address in order to properly address the issue with Courtney uh, and truly seek forgiveness for, for what I did uh, and speaking to her that way. And so, uh, you know, it, it takes that work, right? And it takes some time to like, man, we had soccer games, we had this, we had that, and you know, I had things that I need to do and, uh, you know, but to say, you know what, there's actually nothing more important right now than taking the time to think about this and go back to her and talk through that. Um, but, you know, it's far easier than to just be like, ah, you know, it's just a sharp word, you know, she'll get over it, it'll be fine. Uh, so it does, it takes work, it takes intentionality and, and focus on that, so good. Uh, did I say something? Oh, no, yeah. Guilt? Yeah. Good. What, what what could that be, Noah? Like, like you don't want to admit that you were wrong. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. Um, uh, more like verbal abuse. Okay. You have to go and mend the relationship, and all you're getting is resistance and verbal abuse. Then you want to shy away and not mend the relationship. You want to go, and then anger fosters because you're not addressing the relationship. So even though what comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart, yeah. if 
the other person does not want to hear it or is resistant to it and you're working yeah. on it, you're getting into even more okay. abuse. Yeah. Which makes you it could either make you question the gospel or it can either make you stronger in the gospel. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Both of those are really hard when you try to mend the relationship. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Other thoughts on why it's so hard to take responsibility for our part in a broken relationship? I think we forget that our flesh lies to us. So we're always going to, like, apart from prayer or godly counsel or the word, we're always going to tell ourselves that we're handling something better than we actually are. Because, you know, we want to think, like, oh, I'm doing this so great, and I got this, and that was really my fault. So I think the importance of, like, discipleship and counsel when you're like, my heart wants to tell me that this isn't my fault and I handled this well. But an outside perspective who knows you, who loves God's word, can gently be like, well, actually, you probably shouldn't have said this or done that. Just being mindful of the fact that it's a very one-sided perspective when you're just hmm. listening to your own thoughts. Yeah. Something yeah. I deal with, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all do. Um, the the self-talk uh, is a very uh, dangerous thing. Um, we need the truth to bear on our hearts and our minds uh, because we will deceive ourselves, right? Our, our hearts are desperately wicked. Uh, who can know it? Uh, we will convince ourselves that we're actually in the right. Like, no, no, it was 100% their fault. Uh, whatever this was, uh, we will convince, I mean, even against all odds of that being the reality, we will convince our own hearts uh, that uh, we are actually in the right and they are in the wrong. Why? Because we have this mechanism of self-protection, uh, that we want to build this wall that's, uh, that's impenetrable. And so any perceived weakness that I might present would be uh, something that would be uh, a, a place for uh, one chink in the armor to, to start tearing me down, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to have this impenetrable wall that we build uh, that, that we can't possibly show weakness. We can't possibly do that. Uh, and, and what are we talking about when we talk about these kind of things? We're talking about the, when we talk about sin, we talk about these things, we're talking about uh, the sin of pride that exists in our hearts that, that we have to realize. And when we're referring to this concept of original sin, right, that, that took place there in Genesis 3 as we read, and it's propagated throughout humanity from that point forward, and it's important to understand that this term, original sin, has far more to do with the effects of Adam's sin than the act of sin itself in, as it was first committed by him. It's really what the ramifications and effect of that is being borne out. And because of Adam's sin of disobedience to the revealed will of God, and uh, man lost his innocence and incurred the penalty of spiritual and physical death. While it may not have been physical immediate death, as they think that, you know, that they thought, right? Uh, I, I think there, there was a sense where they're, oh, well, I didn't die. You know, like, you know, he said I was going to die. Well, well, didn't say immediate death, right? And there was clearly this effect that started taking place at that moment. And because 
the subject of God's wrath and became inherently corrupt and utterly incapable of choosing or doing what is acceptable uh, to God apart from divine grace, we are now uh, in this place of inherited original sin that we have to deal with in our lives, right? Because of original sin, people are not born basically good. And we have to accept that. We have to acknowledge that. We're not essentially good in our nature. We are born with a bent towards sin and rebellion. And so we have to acknowledge that even as it gets later in our lives, as Molly was saying, that Jeremiah 17, 9 says that your heart's still desperately wicked and who can know it, right? Like this is where we are in life. And we come into this world as this prepackaged sinner, right? Uh, vipers and diapers, I call them, right? We, they're, you know, it doesn't take long to figure that out. As soon as they come out and they start living and, and they start uh, expressing their sinful desires, as we all do. And everybody is born under the curse of God's law and all break his commandments through our sin. And there's no difference in the condition of our Uh, of our sin due to age, our ethnicity, our gender. We're all depraved. We're all in this place that we stand condemned before God's law. All human relationships and systems that we function in and institutions have been affected by sin. And so it would do us all well, especially within the context of broken relationships to acknowledge not that I am likely right, but that I'm right, likely wrong. That I want to approve and, and look to the relationships in my life as most likely my perception, my uh, outlook on this is at least, at a minimum, skewed by my own sinfulness. I may not be completely categorically wrong, but my perspective and my outlook upon this this relationship is likely, at a minimum, skewed. And theologians describe the product of Adam's sin as total depravity. This may be uh, a term that uh, is is familiar or not to you, but uh, it really speaks to this total inability to do that which is glorifying to God. We, as fallen mankind, have no ability to do spiritual good or to do that which would be pleasing to the Lord. We are so completely uh, disinclined to love righteousness and so thoroughly dead in sin that we do not have the ability to save ourselves or even to fit ourselves for God's purposes. And we just, we understand that maybe in a church like ours from a salvific standpoint, but then we don't really apply that sometimes to how we think about our relationships and the impact of our sin personally on the relationship that may be broken that we're in. Unbelieving humanity has no capacity to desire, to understand, to believe, or to apply spiritual truth left to themselves. 1 Corinthians 2.14, we could turn there, but for sake of time, we won't, makes that clear. 
Therefore, we are born condemned and our personal actions and choices only worsen our condemnation, right? So we're, we're already condemned as we, we come into the world, but then we begin in action beginning, you know, to make that worse and worse and worse and worse. And it accumulates over time as we interact with not just our own person in the world, but other persons in the world, right? Sinners living with sinners compound sin, right? And that's just the reality of what takes place. And so God's common grace restrains us from total chaos. It's, it's really a wonder how we function as well as we do. But it's that common grace that God gives us to function and even God's salvific grace in allowing sinners to be redeemed like you and I to have an influence in the world, right? And so to have this ministry, as, as 2 Corinthians talks about, of the ministry of reconciliation that we should be a part of. And we'll talk about, I'm sure, throughout this class. And on our own, we can do nothing that pleases God or have any real spiritual value. We can see that time and time and again throughout scriptures. This does not mean that we're all as bad as we can possibly be, but it does mean that we are all bad and that we all have an inclination to, do, to only do what is in our own self-interest apart from the Spirit's work in our lives. And so how does this spiritual condition contribute to relational conflict? What are your thoughts? Any thoughts that you have on as we begin seeing this reality in scripture, the impact that it has. Yeah, Dave. Well, it's um, the one word that uh, we really need to impose upon ourselves is humility. Okay. We don't want to walk the path that Christ walked. Because Christ walked in the path of humility to do the will of the Father that sent him. And if Jerry, in his uh, Sunday morning classes, always refers to, right now we're in Romans 12, and it says in Romans 12 that we are to be a living sacrifice. Hmm. The problem with living sacrifices is they only want to call off the altar. Hmm. So we don't want to lay our, we don't want to lay our emotions or our hmm. humility or anything else. We, we still want to be the Lord of our own lives. Yeah. So we really have to take these things to the cross and nail them to the cross. Hmm. So good. Yeah. Yeah, I want to crawl off that altar all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, Virginia. I don't know if this is what you're like leaning towards, but I'm I hope it's not totally off the wall either, but um I feel like this con this concept of total depravity in broken relationships should cause us to show grace hmm. because when you look at what someone has done to you it's really hard not to think about how much worse you've hurt the father hmm. and then to just think the mercy that's been shown to me how can I turn to this person and not show them the same mercy yeah love it that's so good that will really come to play uh, as we talk about how to mend these broken relationships. 
left to ourselves, right? We don't have the grace, the power, the motivation to extend what you're talking about. It's only when we recognize ourselves and what we've been recipients of by a Holy Father that we could possibly begin to see how that would impact our relationship with someone else. Yeah. I think to continue on what you said, it's like the more that we practice that, the more we see the benefits because we find peace that we don't have to live with all these grudges and all this hatred and whatever else, and then it becomes easier to continue doing that mm. and continue living with peace. And it just grows. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I think about um, James yeah. chapter 1 when it says so that you should be joyous in the trials and, and, and why is I think she hit the, the nail on the head is because when you feel that you have been deeply betrayed where it hurts to just breathe mm-hmm. and to know that Infinitely more, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so to truly look at how necessarily you can understand that verse just a little bit more because once you persevere through those trials, it just makes that connection with him Hmm. all the more stronger. Hmm. So that Lord, if you could get through it and you're living on the inside of me, you'll take me through it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Any any other thoughts on? Yeah. Yeah, we've been speaking on uh, the things that we ought to. And I think uh, in, in Colossians, Paul was saying, put on them as God's mm-hmm. chosen these things, compassionate heart, kindness, mm-hmm. humility, meekness, and patience, and so on. And a couple of verses before that, he says something like, which I think is, put to death, therefore, mm-hmm. what is earthly. Because before you can put on something, yep. I guess what he's saying, it's the same guy who says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I, uh, I want, the things that I do, I don't want to do. But mm. the things that I do, or the things that I want to do, I don't do. Mm. And then he, his conclusion is, wretched man that I am, yep. who will free me from this body of death? And, mm. and it's a call to death. Mm. It's a call to death of, of ourselves. Mm. And, and you, you say, why is it difficult? I don't think it's difficult. I think it's impossible. Mm. Uh, it's impossible mm. for myself to put myself to death. Um, so good. And, and that word, death, because there was a book on, again, I remember this Bonhoeffer in one of the chapters. Uh, he writes, the introduction was, when, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die yeah. and man mm. uh, in our sober moments we know what is right mm. in our sober moments with the spirit but when we go out there 
moment by moment, there will be lapses. There will be things that we do. And again, I go home every day and how impossible is it, Lord, for me to to live that life that you call me? Hmm. Impossible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very good. Thank it's you. Almost too in some conflicts where you almost want to tell the Lord, Lord, but I have a right to feel this way. Yeah. And it's almost as if you would say, Oh, really? <laughs> you have a right, you know, hmm. compared to His death. Yeah. Perfectly innocent. Life. Yeah. Suffering what he did, yeah. and we think we have a right to feel anger mm. towards someone or hold bitterness towards someone. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move over to our second point: um, the source of relational conflict, <clears throat> and spend uh, a little bit of time here uh, as it relates to a passage. I think we can go fairly quickly through it. Uh, because we've talked about it uh, substantially already uh, through James chapter 4. Um, James chapter 4, 1 through 3, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. And so here the word quarrels in verse 1 is really a translation of the Greek word uh, from which we get the word polemic from. And it's a descriptive word of a person arguing with one another or debating over a position uh, or a premise. And so we've all been in that experience, right? I, I think this is, as Virginia brought it up, the kind of go-to passage as it thinks, especially as it relates to uh, personal, interpersonal relationships. Where do these things come from? What, well, how did we get here, right? We, we ask these kinds of questions, like, how did it get this bad? Well, this is the answer. And the, the whole idea here is that we have a set of expectations, as was mentioned as well. Uh, I have expectations. That other person has expectations. And what is happening? Those expectations are coming into conflict one, with one another, and it's creating or breeding frustrations, right? Expectations breed frustrations. That is a reality of humanity. We all have them. And so really the question becomes is when, when we're, we're debating and we're quarreling over these things, what is the object that I am wanting or that I'm getting that I don't want? What is it that's happening here that, that just does not jive with what my expectations are? That is the object of the conflict. There is something that someone, either one or both parties, are desiring to have or to not have that is entering into the relationship. And you lust, you desire, right? We think of that word and uh, often sexual kind of ramifications, and that can be, but it's way broader than that. It's just you desire so badly to have something. You are white-fisted around whatever that is, and you want it, 
And so what's going to happen? And it leads down this path, right? It leads down to, it's not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Right? So the ultimate end of not getting what you want is you commit murder either in your mind, which is, in Jesus' words, what? It's murder. You, you hate somebody, you, you want to murder them. And, or it's in actuality. How did people out of our prisons filled? This answers that question too. Is that someone wanted something that they weren't getting or they weren't getting what they really wanted. And so they're able and willing, whatever it is in their heart, to go get it. And even if it takes getting someone out of their way to get it, they are going to get it. And so you have this ruling passion or desire or lust that is carrying you away. And if you looked in James 1.14, just a couple of chapters earlier, we, we see this. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So what is the opposite here that we saw from uh, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, Genesis 3. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. What's happening here? It's putting the weight of the burden of responsibility on me. Not on other people. Not on other circumstances. But it's saying, no. I've been lured and enticed away by my own desire. Something in my heart that I'm wanting. And this word here, lured, is a hunting or a fishing term for you guys that may really like hunting or fishing. It means this idea of laying out a lure to dangle it in front or putting a piece of meat on a trap. It's just putting it out there. And then the desire comes and it snags it. That's what happens. That's what's going on in our hearts in these moments. That some desire is out there. I've had something lure me away and I snatch it. And so the question that becomes really for our hearts in these matters is what is it that my heart is desiring in this moment where conflict has arisen that I need to address in my own heart? Does it take two? Absolutely. But you can't change the other person. You can't do anything about affecting change in another person's life. All you can do is look at your own heart, your own desires, and say, what is my contribution to this conflict? What am I desiring so badly that I am w willing to quarrel, to fight, and even lead to, you know, silent treatments? To lead to, you know, yelling matches? To lead to whatever it may be of manipulation to try to gain what you're not getting that your heart really wants? And so we have to look at this as it relates to our own hearts.
1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, desire of the flesh, desire of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. To seek to honor the Father, to seek to please Him with our lives, we, we cannot control the outside circumstances of our lives. We can't control other people. We cannot control circumstances that even of natural disasters, things that just come into our lives that had no fault even of our own, but we can change how we engage and how we think about those things that impact our life. Well, these things come, even as was mentioned a little bit ago, from James 1, these trials for the perfecting of our faith that the fruit of the Spirit might be borne out in our lives as a result of what is taking place here. And so let's just close here uh, quickly on the solution for relational conflict. The solution for relational conflict. It all begins with the gospel. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, 31 through, uh, through 32 with me here, and we'll end with this. Paul says in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, right? Bitterness poisons relationships. Wrath and anger, it intensifies and creates all kinds of challenges and conflicts within relationships. Clamor is this idea of loud, noisy quarreling with one another. Slander, speaking poorly against one another, right? Malice represents this ill will or desire to harm someone else. And what does Paul say? Put all of that aside. All that this creates in relationships, put it aside. And then what does he say? And this is to our brother's point here. You've got to put off, but you've got to put on. Next verse in verse 32 be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Just as moralistic, better things to do than the previous list in verse 31? No, that's not the idea. It's as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the motivation. This is the gospel, right? Is that our, the gospel motivates us to be able to accomplish what even our brother said here is actually impossible within our own power. So how do we possibly mend broken relationships in our lives? Well, if you're trying to do it on your own and you're trying to do it through psychological means and all the good self-help books that are out there and all that, you will fail. How do I have such confidence to say that? Because you haven't addressed the human heart that exists within you. The gospel is not coming to bear on the situation. But if you begin to be motivated by, because as God and Christ has forgiven you, now you have the motivation. Now you have, as we talked about even a moment ago, the ability to recognize that whatever harm has been done to me in this relationship, it pales in comparison to what Christ my Savior has dealt with for me, right? In all of this, he did not revile in return, but he entrusted himself to the Father. 
that's the power to heal broken relationships, to acknowledge that it's not in me. I don't have it. It's only in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that I can accomplish true change in my own heart. And that is the only chance that I have of true change in my broken relationships. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us where these things come from. Lord, left to ourselves, we would not understand the source of our conflict. But Lord, you have given us clearly where these things have come from. We see it. We experience it. We see it in our own hearts, our own lives, relationships that we have. So Lord, we just pray that you give us the power through the Holy Spirit to enact the change that you would desire in us to put off those desires and those deeds of the flesh and put on the desires and deeds of the Spirit. Lord, we pray for your help to empower us, to motivate us towards that end. In Jesus' name, amen.